I think a lot of people have confused racism with stereotyping. Yes. So like everything nowadays is all racist this, racist that, and it's stereotyping. And stereotyping's funny. I, I think it's hilarious. Um, and, and here's why. So Paul started working with us. And a lot of people don't know when they walk in the door, they don't know that he's Native American. They just see that he's brown. Right. So we had this dude from Argentina. Huh. What do we call them? Argentinians? Argentinians, yeah. Argentinians yeah. or Argentinians? Argentines. In groups, they're Argentines. He's an Argentinian. He's by himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, he comes in to buy a rifle, and he's looking at Paul, and Paul's talking to him, and they're talking back and forth, back and forth. This guy's got a heavy accent, and he's like, And Paul's like, no come mierda or some some shit like that and the dude was like kind of taken back and i started laughing because i was like man he thinks he's mexican or something like that so mm -hmm. they're gonna start you know he thinks he's brown not red shit. yeah he thinks he's brown <laughs> yeah. not red so within a course of a week this is going on like almost every day right this right. dude walks in and we sell a lot of blue label glocks to law enforcement and everything so <laughs> the guy who handles most of the, the law enforcement dudes is Juan. Juan works upstairs. We've mentioned Juan. Juan does our law enforcement sales. Guy comes in. He starts talking. Blue label this. Blue label that. Paul jumps up. Paul's eager to talk to people. He's a real easy dude to talk to. Paul jumps up, starts talking to him. He goes, you must be Juan. And I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's two times, right? And I'm laughing because I'm like the sleeper Mexican in there. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know this. My first name is Miguel. It's not even Mike or Michael or anything like it. It's Miguel Martin Menchaca the second. Mm -hmm. And some people call me Dos. Because two. Two. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But it's it's funny to to see that go on and step back and look at it because I'm like, you know, a Mexican disguised as a white guy in there. And a lot of people don't know that, even though I've been called an honorary white guy, which I think is nice. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to enjoy all the good stuff. But then when we're doing like college applications for my daughter. You're a minority. I'm fucking Mexican. I'm an Olivine American. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got that olive tone to you. That's it, man. When you get out in the sun, you're like Zartan. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Zoltan. 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 <laughs> that was on today. Zoltan. Jesse and Chester. Mm-hmm. This is Mike from Mile High Shooting. And Adam from Mile High Shooting. And Frank from Sniper's High. And you're listening to the Everyday Sniper. Welcome back, guys. We left you off with Seekins. Yeah, we were talking the Seekins and the SP10. We want to get into semi-auto stuff because one of the questions in, in this big thread is how come there's no accuracy-like stuff with the Seekins? So there was this question of where does Seekins accuracy falls on Sniper's High? And why didn't people see more accuracy testing of semi-autos? And my response was, well, because there's a lot more shooter involved and people don't know how to drive a gas gun properly or well enough to get the accuracy potential out of them. I mean, you really have to focus on your fundamentals with a gas gun. It will exploit every mistake you make. Absolutely. And traditionally, I think the... The gas guns, when you're going into a gas gun, you're looking at a 308, like the, like the SP-10s, yep. right? So we're looking at SP-10 specifically, and we're going, okay, well, it's a shorter barrel than we're, than we're used to on a bolt rifle. Yeah, and, that. and shooting a bolt rifle with a shorter barrel, you have to exaggerate those fundamentals as well because that rifle wants to get away from you. There's no weight on the end of it. Yeah. So it wants to jump up and move over to the side. So if you're not directly behind that gun or adjusting yourself to it, which I found with mine... 
is instead of having that in line with the inside of my thigh, I had to have it in line with my belt buckle as far as the buttstock is concerned, traveling. Bring it in, in a little bit, right? Because if you don't do that, then it's going to jump around. You're not going to be able to see your splash. Right. So when we matched up, or you matched up, yeah. Adam, um, the AR platforms, you went out for an accuracy test, and you brought out different AR platforms. What all did you bring out? What <clears throat> accuracy did you see out of it? So I took, uh, I had the Seekins uh, SP-10M in 308, and I had the Seekins SP-10 in 6.5 Creedmoor. And I had the Wilson Combat. That's uh, right, the Wilson that we shot. Wilson's are accurate. I the shot the yeah, the, yeah. Re, the, the one from Atax Day. Mm-hmm. I think is the one that you shot. Oh uh, yeah, I had that one, and I had the <clears throat> the the Super Sniper. Uh, let's see, I had Super Sniper three hundred eight, and I think I had the Recon six five. Yeah, because the Super Sniper has a little longer barrel, and right. Yeah, 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 and it's not threaded. Right. Um. So. And and this is this is why I kind of wanted to talk with you guys too because I found out that I can't shoot a gas gun nearly as good as I can shoot a bolt gun. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's that's just that's just me being honest. Is I feel like any given day of the week, you give me a bolt gun and three hundred eight, I'll be able, in a, a quality bolt gun with good match ammo. I'll be half inch or better every single day of the week. Right, right. It, it yeah, is, and I you feel test a lot of rifles. I, I test a lot like of rifles. Right, I, I feel like I I can shoot half inch or better. Any given day. On command. He's, on on command. command. He is. He's an on command guy. Well, he, he runs down to the range maybe once a month when we send out... Oh, all the time. There are, him and Randy are always well, at Green Mill. At least once a month testing 17 rifles at a time. Yeah. And has to perform and make not necessarily a burst certificate for it, but a performance certificate. Uh, proof targets. Yeah. Proof targets. Going, yeah. okay, this is it unsuppressed, this is it suppressed. And he has to be able to perform the same with every single gun every single time. Right, because you can't not, sit then there. Then he has to take it apart. You can't sit together. there and shoot six groups out of every rifle to try to cherry pick the best one. You have to lay down, make it. No, work. these rifles are built. All, right, all the scopes are already on. Right, we don't fire them prior to doing that because we know the performance. Mm-hmm. We just have to get the proof performer right. to perform. Yeah, and it, and it, it's tough, man, just to go out on like any given day, lay down and shoot me a good group. So when we send this to. Uh, a customer, or an agency, or whoever that the the gun looks like it shoots good, and the it, the the scope sided in, you know, our, our suppressor point of impact shift is not much, and then our, our suppressor is accurate as well, and it, it, and you can see if it if the suppressor helps or hinders or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. We should, we shoot a ton of different suppressors as well. Anyway, and so I feel bolt gun half inch or better, right? I have proof. I've I've seen it. I mean, I I can I can back it up too if somebody wants to see it. But uh, gas gun, I feel like you give me a, a half inch gas gun, I could probably shoot some half inch groups, and I'll shoot a lot of three quarter inch groups. Yeah, just because that platform is so much harder to drive that I I turn a a half inch gun into a three quarter inch gun just just by driving the gun, just because there's so many more moving parts. And things going on that I can't shoot it any better on average. You shoot 15 groups, that it'll average out to three quarters of an inch. Even if it's a half inch gas gun or a quarter inch gas gun, if you put it in the sled and test everything where nothing can move, it could be quarter inch. But can the guy driving it drive it that good all the time consistently? I feel like I'm a three quarter inch gas gun shooter. And, and when you go from a bolt gun to a gas gun, there's a lot more time involved, and we've talked about it multiple times. 
a lot more time involved when you're pulling the trigger. It, it, it's and it usually comes down to follow through. Follow through is the big one, and where where the fall down is for people technically mechanically is in the milliseconds of the trigger to firing pin to primer. If you look at a bolt gun, a average Remington, nothing fancy, is about four milliseconds. Okay, from that trigger to the firing pin hitting the primer. A gas gun can be 8 to 12 milliseconds because now that hammer's releasing and it's got to fly up that distance. Then it's got to hit the firing pin and move that distance. And that distance is the same as your bolt gun, but that movement on that hammer in the trigger is where it is. And because most people with the triggers and what we shoot today with bolt guns don't follow through... That translates to the gas gun, and that's where they fall down. And that's where the fundamentals and the sloppiness kind of translates. We see it all the time in the evals and the stuff. The guys tap the trigger, tap the trigger. Jewel trigger, 8 ounces, 12 ounces, something set low. Slap. And it's slapped. And as soon as, as soon as that crack starts, their finger's off. Well, with a gas gun, you can't get away with that. And that's where that comes in on top of it. There's actually, if you look at the videos that I did with Brian Whalen, okay, Blue Steel, look at me and my follow through and look at Brian. Not that Brian was wrong, but look at, I stay on everything until I see the result. Mm-hmm. Even with the bolt gun, you guys shooting your guys' bolt gun, that 26 inch Valkyrie bolt gun we're shooting. When, when I shot the bolt gun, I only shot the bolt gun at a mile and 2,000 yards. I didn't really shoot it at the closer targets. I shot my gas gun. Well, watch me. I break the shot. I freeze in place. Then when I know where or what I did and I hit or miss, then I come off with my finger and I go and run the bolt. Same thing. You can hear a trigger reset on my shots. You don't hear the trigger reset on Brian's. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just because he's more used to resetting on recoil and more in a three gun vein and with his, the way his military background works. So what you want to do is you want to lay in there. It's got to be break, freeze, see the result. You got to let the rifle unload, reload, recover. Then come off the gun. I like the format of this because we're kind of like, we're touching on, okay, why is it doing that? Then we're going to talk about a fundamental. So going back to the target of the mm-hmm. four different rifles, yeah. what did you see as a result between the Wilsons and the and the Seekins? It, Wilson, yeah, you, can't, you cannot go wrong between Wilsons and, and Seekins. I, across the board, you spend good money on, on a Wilson, a Seekins. I've seen Wilson's JP. out before. Yeah, we Remington's. did the review. I did the review on the Wilson, and it rocks. Yeah, yeah. those, I mean, those Remingtons that were in the HS Precision stocks with the 5R barrels when those came out a few years ago, mm-hmm. there was a guy that bought one of those, and he bought a Wilson, and then he got rid of the Remington because the Wilson was shooting better than the Remington. Yes, yes. Yeah, hands down. So you shoot all three of those, man. I, I feel like all three of those guns are all – now, on average – I shot multiple multiple groups at different times throughout the day when I was fresh, when I was tired, because I was doing other things as well. And they were all averaging three-quarter. And I'm not going to say that that's because the gun is a three-quarter inch gun. I'm going to say that's because that's what I shoot. Because you're a three-quarter inch gas I'm, gun. I'm a three in, three-quarter inch gas gun guy. 
Right. Period. So like that, if if you guys are good gas gun shooters, you guys that are listening to this, man, buy you you can't go wrong. You, I can tell you, they I, rock when I, they're done right. I ran the Seekins the best. I think that's just because I had a little bit more time behind it. I had everything. It's heavier. It's it's a heavy it's a heavy gun. Um, but the construction of it is different. The yes. construction is different, which which I kind of want to go through as well, but. Uh, I ran the Seekins the best, and I had the most consistent half-inch groups with that. Now, I still had it like an inch group in there because I was at the end of the day I was tired and I, I didn't have the patience to make that trigger shot and follow through and, and freeze like I noticed like halfway through that I was letting off of the mm -hmm. trigger. So what it sounds like to me is this was kind of an all-day event. You went yeah. and shot in the morning, and you were like, okay, I got to do some other stuff, jump in the combine, run around in the backyard. Then get out, get on get on the guns again, shoot again, mm -hmm. get out, get the horse plow out, start plowing your fields, <laughs> right? mm -hmm. and then jump back out and then get on the guns, right? Is it is that well, what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, so that I done those and then I, I, I shot some bolt guns throughout throughout the day, tested a couple suppressors, you know, made sure that they were point of aim, point of impact, you know, shifts, things like that, barrel threads. Um and then uh um temperatures and stuff so it was it was across the board and then i had to cite some of those guns in so not only was i shooting groups there but i had to cite the gun in on the side so i was there for demo purposes. they were demo guns yeah. and purposes so i took the gun set it to the side shot a different target so there was a lot of rounds there too that we that i put on target that weren't on that actual grouping uh paper target so no, I just, I, I think it's fantastic because I've been, I, especially like the JP when the Valkyrie came and I have that and I've been running that a lot. And with the 75 grain stuff when we were talking about, I was up in Alaska with it and I shot the first two rounds and I'm looking down at the target at 100 yards. I only see one hole in the paper. I'm like, well, what the fuck, man? I'm like, something's not right. <laughs> right. And Where'd I, that other one go? Yeah, and I just kind of moved a little bit, and I shot the, the the third round, and it was right there, touching. I was stacking them in one hole with it, and with the gap 10, I've done that as well. I put them in. I actually was chasing Tony Burks one time. He was shooting his AX, mm -hmm. and I had a gap 10 gas gun, and every time he shot one bullet hole on a paper that he was working, he was doing like a dot drill or something, I would put it right on top of his. Put it right on top. I was trending with his bolt gun. Because, I mean, we work really, really hard on our gas gun program and the things that I've done over the years and just getting to finesse it because doing DOE classes, Mark 11s. Right. Doing Rangers, Mark 11s. Doing SEALs, Mark 11s. All the 308, semi-automatic, larger frame, doing the M110s and doing all that stuff. Immediately, like when the M110 came out, guys were bitching why you had to get a Geisley trigger. Because the Knight's Armament trigger didn't work. And this is when Geisley just had the basic trigger. They were new on the market, but it was different. Mm -hmm. It just had a different name. <laughs> and people were like, the M110 trigger don't work. This trigger don't work. It double taps, double feeds. That was the shooter, not the trigger. Now, granted, a Knight trigger wasn't a match trigger. It had a really sloppy break, and it wasn't a great trigger. But if you but those shot, those rifles need to be like that. Yes, if you shot it consistently, it would perform. But most of these guys were coming off of five five six, and then the bolt gun they shot, they had no follow through. 
So when they go from a 5.56 and a bolt gun with no follow-through to a large frame AR-10, now that mass starts creating problems mm -hmm. for them because it's so much more weight and movement in the system, it would bring the rifle off their shoulder because they weren't back into the shoulder pocket correctly, and it would push it back into their finger and double tap. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah, so well, they're doing a... You got what bitch slapped. What do they call that? Bump, bump, bump fire. fire. Yeah, bump fire. They were getting bitch slapped by a 308. And they didn't... They went and immediately blamed Knight's Trigger, and then that became the... That's how Geisley got so big and popular, because they felt the solution was a Geisley, and, a sing, and more importantly, the single stage, because they wanted to not follow through and tap it, and it was easier with a single stage to do that versus the two-stage triggers, where they marry up, they come to the wall, they break and freeze, they marry up, come to the wall, they let off, but not off the trigger completely, and then it bumps back into mm -hmm. their finger and double taps. So it was a shooter versus mechanical problem that was blamed on a mechanical problem. And they felt the solution was get a Geisley match, single stage, and it goes away. Because when they let go of the trigger, they let go of the trigger. And that's where the solution came in. It's almost all trigger and follow through with a semi-auto. But like you said earlier, or it might have been the other podcast, which is short barrel 308, that recoil pulse now with that larger frame and all that movement, you want it closer to your center line to keep the movement in line and that way you don't get any left or right by being out on the wing. Yeah, and we cover that in the class when we do a course and stuff like that. Like, where, what are the angles of firing? Well, the angles of firing are this. If you are off center of the gun, if you are at that 15 degree cant, then your gun is most likely wants to take the path of least resistance. It mm -hmm. wants to go up and it wants to go back. And if you're not properly managing that recoil, it goes up, it goes back, and it resets itself to the along side. the center line of your body. Yeah. So why not start in the center line of your body? And I, I like Seekins, what he, what, what, and we won't get too deep into the weeds with it. He changes up his buffer system. And with his spring, the way he yeah. does a spring is how Tubb did the spring when Tubb was shooting the SR-25s. Yeah. The only difference was Tubb's doubled it up in a different way than Glenn. Glenn is doing essentially the same thing just with a longer spring. So yeah, without good spilling too much of a secret sauce. So yeah. we got a segue into construction. So constructing the gun itself. Mm -hmm. Why like what was the thought process there? And I'm sure he gave you the whys and the motivation of why I do it like this. Yeah. So Glenn, Glenn is a very meticulous person, and, and if he sees a problem or an issue, he wants to be able to fix it. Right. So it's like, well, <clears throat> one of the, the biggest things with with a gas gun, and, and we are in a suppressor based world. Everybody runs suppressed now. Yep. You know, there's very I shouldn't say very few. There's a lot of people that don't run suppressed, but there's a lot of people that. Well, just do. look at the numbers. The numbers right. are ten times higher than they've ever been. Right, yeah. and it's right. it's only getting more and more popular. 
people that are that were waiting on the the whatever the, act. Yeah, I, yeah, that ain't happening. I yeah. completely forgot. Like, oh, you can just buy it at the counter, dude. Yeah. If you're waiting on that, you're waiting for a lost cause. Yeah, mm-hmm. like there's those guys are they're going out and buying cans because they realize it's not going through. And now. if that did go through, there wouldn't be a can to be found anywhere, and they would yeah. price hike that thing up. To so three yeah, or four they'd add the two hundred dollars back to the cost of the, the yeah. suppressor. So oh, yeah. So anyway, there you know. The problem with running suppressed on a gas gun is a gas gun works off of gas. As right. soon as you suppress <laughs> it, now you have more gas to work with. Right. Now you're messing. Now you're now you're right. hearing terms like overgassing. Right. You have overgas, undergas. You know, uh, and then your your gun can do the same malfunction with less gas and more gas than it needs. Right, it's like, oh well, stovepipe. Well, either you're undergas or you're overgassed. Now you figure it out. Well, well, how do I know? Well, shut the gas down, and if it doesn't function, then you you don't have enough gas. If you shut it down and everything works just fine, you had too much gas. Right. So you he he's making sure that people running suppressed are getting one an adjustable gas block. If you have a gas gun without an adjustable gas block, take that old one off. Buy an adjustable gas block. There are tons of good gas blocks out there. Okay, SLR rifle works, super little arms. You can they're, even get a new uh, a new bolt that is a suppressed on suppressed yeah, bolt. Yeah, well, yeah. the JPs with the mass, the variable mass, and all that. JPs does it. Yeah. Bootleg does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you need a way to handle that gas, right? One way or another, you got to shut it down and and push that out the barrel, push it out the gas block. You know, but we do not like the gas coming back at our face, right? We that that is one thing that, right. you, that you do not want. You don't want excess gas coming especially back, especially our left-handed make, shooters. Yeah, it makes things very very unpleasant, right? And it can cause function issues with the gun. So one one way of dealing with gas is dwell time. So the longer your bolt stays locked up, the more gas goes out the barrel, right? Right? Path of least resistance. If that bolt is locked up for two, three, four milliseconds longer, then that gas is going into the suppressor and bleeding off, and the pressure is constantly going down and down further and further, right? So dwell time is huge. So he up to the weight of the spring, mm-hmm. right? Also, what you get with dwell time is accuracy. Yep. Right? Because the locking lugs stay locked up longer. The bolt is not moving while the bullet is in the barrel. Yep. Right, so those, those it begins to unlock. There's movement in there, regardless of what everybody says. It's not unlocking, but before it unlocks, the bolt carrier still moves backwards until it uncams and then unlocks. But there's still movement there. Right, and we're still talking about that time that it takes when you pull the trigger, the hammer comes up, yep, and all this stuff is happening. Now you're talking about the cycle of operations of firing, mm-hmm. locking, extracting, ejecting, cocking, feeding, chambering, locking. Right, all that stuff is happening right now. Say that five times fast. Shoot, <laughs> was that pretty good? <laughs> it was good. It was. It was nice. <laughs> it was impressive. <laughs> I know a little bit about gas guns. Okay. Uh, so that dwell time helps with your accuracy, mm-hmm. helps bleed off that gas, right? But if you still have too much gas, what you're, you're going to start to see is it's throwing that brass forward. Right. It throws that. Because Glenn and I talked right about that a big time, getting that three o'clock eject. Right. You and want, how right. to tune into your ejection. That was a big thing when we were trying to build up my precision 223 yeah. is we couldn't get the bolt to lock back. So we had to take a um, uh, your your barrel rod, the camera 
Borescope. Borescope. There we go. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. We had to take the borescope in and actually move that gas block around until all of those gases were, until those two holes, holes actually were perfectly matched, perfect. and matched up perfect and then mess with the gas. And we had to do this about three or four times to get it just right. So guys that are doing their at-home AR builds, that's, you know, that is a step that you are you may or may not have to take to get that to line up properly because it may not just go straight to the shoulder. You may have a little bit of distance between that gas block and that shoulder of uh, where that where that gas block is supposed to be. Yeah, as and that's that's standard procedure in our shop. You put a gas block on, you put the yeah, you, you put bore, the borescope in, and you make sure that that hole is perfectly lined up. Even if the pick rail on top of the gas block doesn't look right, our gas port lines up. Your be, shit is going to function because we <laughs> want it to function. There's nothing worse than a gun leaving the shop and they're like, hey, it doesn't function. Pick rails level, but it uh, doesn't function. So yeah, go figure, right? Right. <laughs> so, shit ain't straight. Oh shit. Oh, shit. oh you mean this. $50 gas block is not not machine proper. Yeah. Anyways, so Glenn does that with the flat spring, mm-hmm. right? And then he has different flat springs for different cartridges. Yep. Right? So depending upon what cartridge you're running, depends he's on what He's tuned the flat- system and figured right. out. I don't think so. We don't want to spill too much of a secret sauce, mm-hmm. but he's tuned the system per caliber or cartridge to figure out how where he needs it to fall. Yeah. If you guys want to like debunk everything that he's done, just buy one in each caliber and tear it apart. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Right? Nice. He'll, Good plug. He'll, Good he'll, plug. Yeah, he'll tell you. You yeah. can order them at Mile High yeah. Shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike. Right. 303-255-9999. Just put my name on that too. Then. Yeah, of course. You know, I'll give you a half Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyways, um, and then the, uh, the gas block, obviously, you can tune that gas to mm-hmm. set it where you want. So you shut it down just like you were talking. So the brass is right at 3 o'clock, right? Um, that's huge as far as, as yeah. getting, cause actually, and I, I've seen this with, with a Seekins is it shoots extremely good. Now with one type of ammo, it shoots extremely good, but it won't lock back on a empty MP, mag. Right, right. I give it enough gas to where it does that, then the shoot is good. Whether that was me driving the gun with more gas. It could be a recoil pulse right, or could, something, could, right. Could have been me just driving the gun, but I shut that gas down a little bit more. Man, it was, it was solid three eighths gun. It was I was like, man, this is like shooting a bolt gun. Yep. And then, but it wouldn't lock open on an empty mag, so I open it up to where it is, and then it's just slightly over half. You know, I'm like, oh man, it's like mm. how how can it double in group size? It's still under three quarter, but yeah. it almost the group size doubled in size. Yeah, yeah. You know, so gas does play with accuracy as well as far as follow through. And just the harmonics of the gun as well. Totally. Right? Totally does. So speaking of harmonics of the gun, so when we're talking a regular uh, gas gun where you have a barrel that has a barrel nut and then the handguard is attached to the barrel nut, what is Seekins doing differently? So what Seekins does is he takes the, the, the receiver and builds it extra long. Right. Basically. Okay. Then the the barrel and the barrel extension go inside of the receiver. And what's really cool is it goes all the way up, basically to the ejection port. The barrel extension goes, goes right up against the ejection port. So it sets really And that's in the videos that I did with him. Yeah. You can see that. Yeah, very yeah. deep inside of the receiver. So you have a lot of purchase on this barrel, right? Gee, it sounds like the AI quick lock with longer threads. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. kind of weird how that yeah. kind of, hmm. Why, why would we carry that? Hmm. So 
then the barrel nut actually goes in and locks the barrel to the receiver. The threads are in the receiver, um, locking this barrel in place. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> the nice thing with Seekins, when he builds these uppers, the SP10Ms, he checks every single upper receiver. He makes sure when he machines that barrel lockup or where the barrel extension, the flat on that extension meets to the receiver, that that is perfectly flat. He has a CMM that goes in and it checks yep. it. He makes sure that the threads are threaded perpendicular to that flat. Yeah. Okay. So basically now it's just like a bolt gun receiver. I was just going to say it's like blueprinting. It's just, it's just what we do to a Remington 700. We yeah. set it up, make sure, all out, those, make sure all those are perfect, running perfectly straight and perpendicular. So same thing with his. So then when that locks that, the, the barrel nut locks the barrel in place, then it's as straight as you can make it. And that barrel nut goes inside of the receiver. Inside of the receiver. Okay. So now what the forearm tube has to do is mount to the receiver as well. So it actually goes over the top of the barrel. And instead of attaching to the barrel nut, right, like which a conventional AR, right. which is attached to right. a barrel, the handguard goes over the receiver and is locked in and screwed to the receiver itself. So the barrel is completely isolated from the handguard. There you go. So we talk about harmonics, and this is one step closer to getting that perfect harmonic. Right. But it's more like a bolt gun. But we yeah. used to see, and, and Glenn, this was part of it, and this is to bring the context. I'll put this into context for guys. We saw it, Glenn saw it. Well, Brian Morgan may have talked about it with you up there because he's seen it with the military and the Knights guns. If you're pushing the bipod against something. There we go. That's exactly what I was just about to say. You're going to do it. Go, do it. Right? So now I got a support up in front of me. Say I have a support on one side, but not the other side of the bipod leg where I'm only loading the left leg in. You guys may have to rewind and listen to this a couple times, but this this is is the key to the accuracy of the guns we are talking about. When you push forward and load that bipod, if it's not loaded correctly or overloaded or pushed to one side, you will deviate to that side. You're pushing it and it'll it'll pull the barrel that way and it'll throw the shots. I think Glenn and them said they saw up to a minute and a minute and a half on the military rifles by pushing their Harris bipod into just one side or the other. It, or more. Yeah. I've seen some targets. Depending on how far were, away. They were not pretty. Right. And so this is what, what the solution Glenn solved by going with that beefier receiver handguard to the receiver. Because our handguard then has our bipod on it. Yeah. Right. And when you start manipulating that and start moving that and pushing that against things, you will then move not only the receiver on a potential, but if the handguard's on the barrel nut, you're now moving the barrel. And, right. so, and so there's more than one way of seeing a negative from the same result. So you're looking at getting monolithic results from it because it is attached to that receiver and it makes it more rigid yep where adam gives this example in the shop all the time when we're when we're talking to people about these guns is grab the barrel on this ar and grab the barrel on this ar and try to move it what's all moving grab the handguard on this one grab the handguard on this one what's moving everything's moving yeah mm-hmm. and then you grab it the, the and if you, yeah, it exactly. should not move 
And where some of them are trying to kind of work this and it does work for them is like your POFs and your JPs is in the heat sinks. Because they use that heat sink to hold more of the barrel and to prevent the movement. So they, they have that longer uh, kind of attachment up there, which is kind of what Glenn's doing just in an external way where Glenn does it internally. So it's a similar end result with two different ways of attacking the problem. But the problem is torque and manipulation of the handguard moving the barrel or the receiver. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're trying to remove. Right. We have a hard enough time running a bolt gun, jamming one leg into the right. into something. It's funny that you said let, that. Let alone a gas I gun. I went straight back to Kdex when we were doing that Kdex uh, rifle with a three thirty eight. We were shooting that, and I had one leg jammed up in that little tough shed yeah. that we were shooting out of at your at your place, and it was it was all over the place. And I was like, "What is going on with this thing?" You're like, "Hey, back off and get your leg off of that." Yeah. Uh, get shoot. your leg off that, uh, mm-hmm. that shoot piece neutral. of wood. Yep, shoot neutral. Don't load. Just do this. And I'm like, okay. Well, got a little bit of a load going. Got it. Ran back in the shoulder. Pulled the trigger. Pulled the trigger. Pulled the trigger. I watched all my impacts in the same hole every single time. And I was like, I cannot believe that jamming the leg of my bipod did that to me. And in a gas Just gun, it's a, right. And in a gas gun, it's exacerbated. Oh yeah, that's a huge word. Yeah, that's fancy. huge. Yeah, dude. Huge. I go back to you. I'm like reading the thread on Sniper Side where everybody's like. <laughs> Oh man, I, I love this everyday sniper because this and that and one and I can't remember who it was. It was like I love that everything is efficient about Frank. I'm gonna, st- you know, he takes the H off of stuff and says huge, and then I'm gonna <laughs> start saying our, our idea, and then Hunter, <laughs> Hunter was. I started laughing so hard. I was like, man, I hope that guy gets me and Trump. We're huge. <laughs> I love the huge. Huge, huge, huge. It's a New York thing. So, yeah, but that's what I'm saying is that, and, and I like the way Adam brings it up and talks and brought you into that is talking about neutral, shooting things neutral. Yes. Well, when you shoot something neutral, there's one result. When you're not, well, is there another result? Or do you have, is, is a system built to counteract when you're not in a neutral position? And that's what we're looking right. to do. That's what the M does. And that's why the M went to the lengths it went because the military, the law enforcement, and those guys who really worry, who do this like we do, the practical shooters, the field shooters like we are, yep. we are not always neutral. That's right. You don't get to – you as the, the shooter, the military guy, the law enforcement guy, sometimes even the, the practical shooter, the, depending on what they're doing – you don't always get to shoot neutral. Right. You don't, yeah, you don't, always, you don't make the rules every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't, don't get, get to, to choose your position. Yeah, this is sometimes this is all we have to work with. This better work. You better not be thinking, oh man, I'm not neutral. Is this going to go left or is this going to go right? What, right. What, like you can't have that in the back. Why of your we head. shoot AIs? Right. I mean, that's the yeah. that's the that's the realization is why do we shoot the rifles we shoot? Why do we? Yes, we play with so much, but what do we gravitate towards? You know what I mean? And that's the thing is when it's left to our own devices, where are we? We're in rifles that allow us to deviate from neutral without a, a, a noticeable adverse effect. When there's so many products out there that don't do that and people will just highlight it by saying, look what I did when I'm neutral. Mm-hmm. Right. The shooter's the X factor. And now we just added one little thing to a bipod leg and now we have another X factor. Yep. Yeah. And then you just keep 
stockpiling those on top of each other and you're like, man, this thing doesn't shoot for shit. Yeah. But if you take a step back, you understand what you're doing, understand the fundamentals and, and get off of things that you shouldn't be on in the first place, then you're going to do better as a shooter. Yes. I, I'd, like, I'd like to put a challenge out there for anybody that has a gas gun that listens to this. Give me nine rounds. Give me nine rounds and post the picture. Dude, or email not, him to Adam. So, of course, so every day sniper and fire, sniper yeah, side. Yeah, I'll, put a sniper side. I'll yeah. put a post up. Yeah. Give me nine rounds. Do three shots with the left leg, three shots neutral, three shots with the right leg jammed. Yep. And see what your gun does. I got to go out this many, week. I'll many, do it this week. How many weekend. of you guys have actually tested that? Yeah. Right? I'll bring my knights and I'll bring my JP or something and I'll do yeah. it with the Seekins. Just, just to see. I mean, yeah. Totally. I mean, that's the difference right there. And that's why gas guns can be such a ball of yarn, yeah. you know, trying to find the end of it kind of thing, because we're, we're throwing in so much. I mean, think about it. They're light aluminum. They're just tossed in the CNC. And like Glenn says, right in the video, right, talking to us, you have your Lego version and you have your semi-custom real version. And yeah, everybody likes the Lego stuff. It's cheap, it's easy, it's fast. We can all slap something together and yay! Right, you're taking your 125 built out lower and then putting a you know $2,000 upper on it. Right. Or, you know, or you're trying to build that out to, well, I got this gun under five pounds and I spent, you know, maybe $900 on it. I would like to see how that performs. Yeah, well, the problem is, is that most of that is in the 5.56 world mm -hmm. and they're shooting inside 100 yards and everything looks great. Yeah, it works pretty right. good. Yeah. yeah. Yours, your custom 5.56 that Adam built for you guys that you were just talking about, stacked them in one hole at 600 yards. Yeah, and I get first round impacts at 1,000 and consistent hits at 1,125 with it. Yeah. That's I mean, that was, we left that group up. It was so it. damn impressive. Yeah. Nobody would spray paint over that target. Yeah, it was up there for a while. <laughs> it was up on our range. Nobody would shoot the thing yeah. because it was such an impressive group on our range with a 223 that we left it up for yeah. probably a month and, and a half. And that was factory ammo. It was Black Hills it was Reman. Black Hills. It yeah. was 77 Reman. Dude, you, those three shots, you take a two piece of 223 brass and hold it over the top of the group, and you're like, oh. Yeah, at 600. That's ridiculous. At yeah. 600, and that was what Mike was doing. Let's get out from 100 yards, get beyond it, and we did this in the class, and that I think that can't be overestimated. Once your zero is done, once your rifle is back in lockdown, if you want to shoot for groups, shoot at at 200. Oh, yeah. Then, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm so Go ahead. Tell them, man. That. So uh, in, our, in our last class, it was like, okay, we're shooting at 100, shooting at 100, shooting at 100. And then... We got everybody to like five-eighths or yes, less. Yes, they were doing really well with Five-eighths or less was the average in the class. And then we dropped the 100-yard target, put up the 200-yard target. We're like, we're going to do the same thing here. We want you to get your shit zeroed. And uh, the messing with the parallax and trying to get, you know, like, oh, it's 200 yards now. So now there's a, some kind of mental block. Plus, Well, it's, well I shot a half minute at 100. I'm going to shoot one inch at two is yeah. what they said. Yeah, exactly. And... That's nobody, not, yeah, nobody, nobody did. Nobody did. Nobody doubled their size. They all went three times bigger. Oh yeah. That's where you want to play if you're going to shoot for accuracy and you want to develop and fine tune yourself. Listen to the Tub Podcast again. What did he say in that? I never shoot groups at a hundred. I shoot at two. He said my friend Paul Poindexter shot at one hundred, but I only shoot at two. 
He never shoots below that for groups only. And he zeroes his at two, I think, uh, for his reticle. But zero at 100, group at two. Yeah. You want to figure out what kind of shooter you are. You can shoot, you know, a thousand rounds at a hundred yard target and go, I'm a, I'm a quarter inch shooter all day long. Shoot it at two and see what happens. Yep. Are you a quarter inch? Are you still a quarter inch shooter? And on demand, don't cherry pick it. But I think Adam's right. I'll put a post up and snipers hide. I'll throw gas guns out. Uh, I'll bring my knights over. The knights will probably be the worst defender out of all of them. And why? Because of the trigger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and um and 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 I'll move it around a little bit and and see uh, what goes on with it. Yeah. Well, because it's mainly because the handguards on the gas uh the the nut. Yeah. It's, that's yeah, the that's, main thing. But and one of the other thing biggest things I I know shooting is uh and i know frank talks about this quite a bit is on an ar especially a large frame an ar10 is make sure you grab a hold of the the hand grip yeah make sure you drive that gun bring it back into the shoulder pocket you don't death grip sideways you come straight back yeah but make sure you grab a hold of it because yeah. it, it i mean thumb up thumb up on the side on an ar10 man it just I, I mean, it's. I don't do it, but guys do. Guys do. Can. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're jamming your bipod into, what what's going on there. But recoil is going to follow the, the path of least resistance, and if you give it that resistance at the grip, it will try to exploit it, and you'll get a left and right movement. Don't just because it's called a grip doesn't mean you come up and gorilla grip it. That's a door kicker thing. You want to come straight back to the rear. You want to give it that good pressure to hold it because think of the mass moving. How much mass of that bolt carrier is moving back, you know, unload back into that buffer. Then the spring's going to slam it forward and it's going to reload. It's going to want to separate from your shoulder. Plus, if you have a break, it's going to want to pull it away from you too. Yes. So you're kind of counteracting these conflicting movements and you have to be that steady slab of meat behind it versus being reactive to all those different pressures. Your muzzle brake, like Mike said, is one pressure. Your buffer and spring is another. The recoil in the shot is a third. And all that movement is just looking for an exit. If you give it an exit, it's going to take it. So there you go. One thing I do want to say, Frank, is... uh Completely off topic here. Over <laughs> <laughs> there, I see a squirrel. Good. I guess I don't know. Um, is you're talking? You always talk about thumb off the side. You know, it's like, hey, we learned this at, at rifles only. Yada yada yada. I've done that in Bentrest. I had no idea who Jacob Bynum or yeah, yeah, yeah. even <laughs> was. You know, like I uh, shoot in Bentrest, man. I it may have came I from just, a Bentrest. I just lay my thumb right on the side of the stock because as soon as. Ventress, it's free recoil. Yes. You don't, you don't, you don't. You're not touch, touching anything. You don't touch anything. So your thumb is always off the side. And we had Godforsen and the Ventress guys down there. So it may, Jacob may have picked it up from yeah. them. So, and then it was, you break the trigger and then your thumb and everything's already right there by the bolt. So you just See, now we're getting an actual timeline of when this was developed. We're starting to back it off now. We're going No, back, it was done. It came down the, for the tactical the guys. But Godforsen and those guys, Godforsen used to write for Precision Shooter Magazine. Mm -hmm. Godforsen was a big bench rest guy. Godforsen lived that rifles only, he used to come down and he used to bring the Japanese guy who does that huge uh, gun huge. magazine in Japan. He's huge in big Japan. Huge. <laughs> he's, he's a Japanese guy that's huge? Huge. It, well, his, his magazine. That's and some stereotyping shit He used to there, come Frank. down and the guy used to come to all the matches 
And he used to shoot a march, like a 60-power march, and indeed every time because he had the bench rest trigger. And he would bring his bench rest gun to shoot a tactical match. It may have come yeah. from the bench rest guys. I'm not trying to call it out. No, I no, just, no. I you're right. Said, yeah. you're, you're, but yeah. in the tactical world and in that, but it's a different discipline, like yeah. you said. And I think so much of what we do does – I mean, bench rest is the R&D department yeah. for what we do. And here, here's a here's a NASCAR euphemism. So it's like, okay, well, what was done in NASCAR mm-hmm. trickles down to the everyday driver. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So they learn, well, if we do this, the engine is more efficient. Right? We don't burn as much fuel, but we have just as much power. Right. Well, that trickles down to us. Yeah. I mean, look what look what uh, all the car manufacturers well, are doing. Well, I just saw an ad uh, this weekend for Jeep with the new Wrangler coming out for 2019. They added 35% more horsepower and speed coming out of it out of the same motor. Well, that's good because those Wranglers are like right. just a, They're dogs. Like a cow is aer- more aerodynamic than a fucking Wrangler. <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, and they added all these things and a lot of that stuff trickles down right. and how to get the most out of smaller engines, how to get these better to run more efficient. And that's what when we reload and all this stuff, how to get more efficiency out of that caliber. Right. That's the athlete conversation we had. Mm-hmm. Right. More efficiency out of the same thing. Yep. And we're and we look at it and I like how I like when we all get together because we all have different questions and well, different, we have, we come different, different ways disciplines. Of, yeah, different I mean, we're ways coming from different backgrounds. Things. And it's like we're trying to find the most efficient, most accurate way to do things. Most yeah. consistent. Most right? consistent. Yeah. What, what is out there? What can we do? What can we do yeah. to improve it? Or what can we do to explore, I would say, is like we're just kind of pushing pushing ourselves further and going, okay, well, well, what if we did this? Well, what if we did this? You know, and that, that question's always out there. And it's good because Frank's got the time to go yeah. out there and play with this shit. Well, you guys all do. You guys play with it every day too. Yeah. I mean, we're all got a background. I mean, Adam shoots in his backyard. You guys are all out there. He gets to do all that work. And so we're constantly tweaking and to say, and how many times, Adam, do you hear or read something on the internet or seen on Facebook or whatever the case may be, or a guy comes in the shop and then you go out and try it? Yeah. I, I tell you what, man, every time I, I see Brian Morgan, I learn something from him. Yeah. Every single time. It, it's And in the, the reason, like for me, and Mike knows this, I'm a huge mechanics guy. Yeah. The, the reason that I'm a huge mechanics guy is is because sometimes I don't like to put in as much effort as I sh- that it should be. You're going for the easiest solution. <laughs> right. So I'll, I'll put it out. I will put in my, my, say, five hours of time to figure out the most efficient way to do something. And then I will remember that way to do it that way. Right. Right. I build a program upon this shooting technique and then I use that so then I don't really have to practice it all the time. It, exactly. Right. And no, that's not going to make me a top 20 shooter or a top 10 shooter or anything like that, but it does make me very competitive without practicing. And, and here's the key with all of us, including a Brian Morgan, where does it come from? It comes from the diversity, the diversity of the students you see, the diversity of the systems you interact with, and the diversity of the conditions you shoot under. So Brian's doing so many classes up there with a, a, a wide, well-educated, military, group, diverse group of people. He's using the Seekins, he's using the night forces and the AIs and the different things. And now he's putting them into practice in these canyons, Hell's Canyon, largest canyons in the U.S. And he's putting that into practice. 
we see so many students, so many different, like you're building a wide variety of rifles from the bench rest side of things to the tactical and the military and law enforcement side. I'm talking side. to people from California you're, to New York all day long right. about this shit. And it's diversity. It is diversity. And I like to use that too when I, when I talk to people about our custom gun shop, because when you think about it, taking that diversity and how many years of, how many, you know, how many years have you been doing this? How many years have you been doing this? How many years have I been doing this? And then I look at it in the machine shop and I go, dude, we have like four guys with over 60 years combined experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what chat like, and that's how, that's how I look at it, you know, like, because you have, what, how many years since the eighties, right? Yeah. 80. I went to sniper school in 86. Right. So whatever the math is on that, plus with your bench rest background, plus what I've been doing. I mean, there are decades worth of information that we're just trying to get out. And, and which is and why it, why we're biased. Yeah. Why it aggravated me. Be biased. Me, right. Be biased. Why I was aggravated to a certain extent <clears throat> without getting confrontational over the guys who were trying to shoot down the Valkyrie bolt gun. We saw it work. Yeah. We saw the results. We made it perform. Yes. And it's like it worked. It worked well. It wasn't overly heavy. You guys spun up a hell of a good ass bolt gun. Fritz. Fritz, Fritz is a rock star, man. And, and he spun up a hell of a Valkyrie bolt gun. We, I had seven. I mean, this was stone cold. Give me the mag. Let me try it. Go on here. Drop it in. And I shot. I had shot my AR-10. And then I went to the bolt gun. On command, I got seven out of ten hits at a mile. That's valid data to pass on to other people. You guys put that gun together. It hammered. It got the velocity to a point that made that cartridge predictable, accurate, and repeatable. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that consistency, that repeatability, that all that yeah. stuff. And that's what we're trying to put out here with this. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and for everybody that's shooting and everybody has their own way of doing something, right? I taught Mike how to shoot a lot. He doesn't do everything the way I do because some things work better for him than me, Yeah. right? So my, and I shoot a lot of trap. And if you shoot any trap, any trap shooter out there is looking for the secret. They want the secret of how to break mm -hmm. clay targets consistently all the time. Walk out and break them. Let me tell you something. There is no secret. They want the tips and tricks before they understand the there, basics. There is yeah. no. Or like Kalen was saying, they yep. want the t tips or the, the tricks of the trade before they learn the trade. That's yes. right. And, and it's this, and that is it across the board. It does not matter your shooting discipline, right? You build your foundation and you build upon that. You, a good shooter, the best shooters mm -hmm. have mastered the basics. And yeah, there's some shortcuts out there. Yeah, you can buy some accuracy, but that does not make you a well rounded shooter. That does not make you a marksman. That doesn't means you don't have the foundation because you bought a hit. Yeah. And you can. Mm -hmm. We we all know we got such great equipment nowadays. You could buy frig buy a Seekins, you'll buy a hit. Yeah, you oh, know what absolutely. I mean. Buy an AI, you'll buy a hit. Before we wrap this up, the differences between the SP10s and SP10Ms. I know we've talked about it. We're already on this episode. Let's talk about it real quick. You being one put putting one together. Mm -hmm. What did you see as a difference in performance? The so the SP10s shoot very good. They're just a lighter gun. They have they have a lighter barrel contour. Right, which that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that anything's going to be bad about it, 
right? It's just a smaller barrel contour. The the SP10M has more hand fitting, so and it's bonded. They, they, in... they fit the the feed ramps, so when they put the barrel in, they Loctite it in place, and then they they actually have two set screws that go through the barrel through the receiver into the barrel uh, the the barrel nut. So it holds that barrel nut in place so that barrel nut cannot back out. So you get in a huge firefight or, or something along those lines, that barrel's not going to back out on you. Here's, so, here's, here's how I, I'll put it to the guys out there. If you're a casual shooter who wants to get into an AR-10 platform, the SP-10 is a good platform to get into. If you are a connoisseur, you do the M. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? That, yeah, you can't say it any better. Yeah, you want the you if you're a connoisseur and you want to excel in your AR-10 shooting, you get the M, and the M will last you your lifetime. And you could do the upgrade and whatever you, down the road, but that's going to be your that's that's your zombie apocalypse. One is the M. Yeah, straight up. You, you know, know, if I only can have zero one, maintenance, right? If yep. I if Just I only can have it. one, that's the one you want is the SP-10M. So go out there and get it. If you say, listen, when the zombie apocalypse comes, I got a zombie apocalypse precision AR-10. I got to knock down zombies wholesale. I got to whack them wholesale. I got to whack them wholesale. Headshots only. Yeah. I need the SP-10M. If if I'm going to take my time and pick and choose a few of them, I can go the SP-10. But if I want to whack them wholesale, I need the M. There you go. There you are, man. All right, guys, we're, we're coming into the end here. Thanks for Adam. Thanks for Mike. Thanks for everybody. We knocked out some really good podcasts for you guys. I hope you enjoy it. We're enjoying doing them. And, uh, you know, give us your feedback. Come on over to Sniper Side Forum. Let us know what's going on. What do you guys got to end with? Yeah, hit me up. If you guys have uh, questions, uh, shoot me a, a message via email, mike at milehighshooting.com. If you have any questions, call up, man. A lot of you guys do and have. Uh, I'm grateful for it. I love talking to you guys. It gives me a little break away from from doing my normal, you know, everything that I'm working on. You guys have questions. It actually gives me a little bit of time to fighting cool off the red man. Yeah, fighting off the Trying red man next to me. It's always spitting tobacco in my direction. But um, no, uh, I, I really do appreciate you guys calling. I'm available to you, so hit me up. If he walks in the door with a tomahawk, run. He has a tomahawk. I'm, I'm sure he does. Buy it's, one. Yeah. It's behind his. It's behind his chair. I could just imagine the Christmas party this year. What's gonna be in the? I told oh, him. Dude, I told he's him to take the tomahawk. Fire water. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I told him to take the tomahawk and like put some put some fishing line and stuff on it. And make, make a dream, dream catcher. catcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stereotypes. Yeah. So, so my 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 uh, my tip to everybody out there as far as shooting goes: develop a shooting program, and if you find something that works for you use that implement that into your program if it does not work and it works for somebody else it doesn't matter use what works for you find what works for you build your own program and keep building on it as you go i learn things constantly all the time thanks guys we're out peace